Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pixel Podcast. This is episode one, The Pilot. We are testing out a brand new technology and gaming podcast for you guys. So please be sure to let us know how it goes and what you think, any improvements you'd like us to add into the next episode. In the podcast, we have three presenters. Of course, myself, uh, Geek, or Ben, as many people know me as well. And we also have Martin uh, over here. Hello, Ben. It's nice to be here. And, of course, the legend that is Edson. Hello, how are you doing? We have a lot of topics to get through today. Like I said, we're covering the latest gaming and tech news. So, without further ado, let's go into this week's catch-up topics. Pixel Podcast, officially approved by Nan. So, kicking off this week, we have got The Division beta. It's finally been announced. This has been a game that's been delayed for so long. Absolutely ages. Like it's, it was supposed to be released, I think, in 2015, but it's been delayed to 2016. We've finally got the the beta um, announced. It's going to be on the 28th of January for Xbox One users, 29th for P- PS4 and PC, and it ends on the 31st of January. It's only a two or three day thing. Um, obviously, the release is on 8th of March, so we've got a few days to test it out. Anyone that's pre-ordered the game, anyone um, that's signed up, but there's like a huge queue, so not many people are actually going to get in from that sign-up, will be in to play the game and actually get a hands-on experience because the, the closed alpha was like really, really specific. There was only like a few thousand people in there, so it's the first ever experience that like a lot of people are going to get of the game. Yeah, and for me personally, I think it's going to be a good test to see whether players online are capable of working together as a team because I think the whole success of this game is going to be over people working together to the objectives and not messing around too much. Of course, we're going to have fun, but at the same time, it's that serious mode because I played it at Eurogamer. It worked really well, but we had a team leader who was a Ubisoft member who kind of kept us all together, moved to the objective and made sure that we're kind of doing what we, we should be doing. Exactly. And I think this is going to be a real test for that. Yeah, and uh, like you say, there's there's also the whole, like, if, if you're playing with your friends, it's going to be good, but if you're playing with random people, you don't know how they're going to do and how sort of they're, they're going to sort of, like, take the game. So if you want to take it quite seriously, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Exactly, yeah. Well, I always think these sort of games are very hit or miss. Like, I love interacting with people online, but like you said, if it's with friends, great, you know you're going to take it seriously. Seriously. But with randomers, it's uh, 50-50 if you're going to take it seriously or not. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. But yeah, it's it, it it's going to be interesting because obviously there's no sort of game that's tried to that's tried to sort of like have this this whole um, this this whole like teamwork aspect um, like throughout the whole like this is the game like it's it's teamwork all the time. So it's there's no real game that's had that, and it's it's going to be quite interesting to see how they do it. I think the beta will be a real test of whether this game is going to be a success or not. Okay, up next is Star Wars Episode Eight, and it's been pushed back all the way to 2017. It was originally meant to come out um, in the summer, so it's only been about six months uh, delayed back. However, um, Rogue One is an anthology movie that we um, coming to cinemas on the 16th of uh, 2016 this year, that which will uh, show the Rebels um, stealing the Death Star plans and showing that pivotal moment of um, Episode Four. 
But really, I just want to get your guys' opinions on what do you think about pushing it back? Obviously, um, the new one that came out, uh, The Force Awakens, it was around December time. Do you feel that this is a, a marketing? Because they realized how great the summer, um, sorry, the winter blockbuster was. And do you feel like uh, this is just, like I said, a marketing tactic here? 100% a, a marketing tactic. There's like there's if they release it in the middle of the year, they've got a whole of the six months for quite possibly one of the most anticipated films of 2017, which is Avatar, the the sequel to I think one of the best selling films of all time. And if if they've got six months to up their advertising campaign and beat the sales of Star Wars, they're going to do it. So if they if Star Wars release at the same time, it's pretty much a 50-50 which one's going to win like film of the year. So it's 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 just that's that's the whole reason why they've done it. I guarantee it. Well, to my knowledge, uh, you have Avatar, which you said is the all-time grossing uh, box office success, and Force Awakens is number two. And now you have these like uh, titans going together. At the moment, this has had 1.8 billion um, a box office uh, coming back. Ben, what do you feel about? Um, do you think it's going to be a battle of the titans? Yeah, I think so, definitely. I, that is an interesting point that Edson made because I really didn't uh, realize that Avatar was coming out uh, this soon. And uh, I didn't know that the, maybe the reasoning between splitting those a little bit was to give some breathing room um, between Avatar and, of course, Star Wars, uh, which, you know, will st- steal some of the limelight from each other. Some of the people who maybe aren't such big Star Wars fans would have seen maybe Avatar instead. Um, and maybe some of the people who were more in Star Wars wouldn't have seen Avatar. But if you're splitting those up, people who maybe aren't fans of either or would go and see those films independently of each other, whereas they might have not if they were on the same weekend. Well, two sci-fi films in the space of a month. But I also uh, said about Rogue One, which I said was uh, coming out in 2016. It's an anthology movie. Um, Edson, what do you think about that? I mean, it's it's obviously not going to be anywhere near as good or sort of, well, not good, anywhere near as big as obviously the the, the main Star Wars movies. But I think obviously they want to give that a little bit of breathing room as well, which is probably like a a little bit of the decision. But I still think it's it's mainly just that whole, they they want to take on Avatar as obviously the, the best selling film of 2017 and possibly of all time. So the third topic of the podcast this week is of the iPhone. Now, we all know that iPhone rumors are pretty regular on the internet. And uh, of course, uh, one of the more recent ones was to do with the whole Bluetooth uh, being the sort of main way of hooking your headphones up on the new iPhone, no headphone jack. However, I feel that this latest rumor is far more interesting, especially for someone from a video background. The new iPhone is expected to have two cameras according to a patent that was filed. Now, it's going to do a bit more than if you remember HTC's Limp Duo camera system in the HTC One M8. This one is supposedly going to be able to um, allow you to do two things. For instance, it can take during photo mode one photo at a longer distance and one photo at a closer distance, meaning when you zoom in after in post, you're actually not stretching the one image. You're actually uh, editing the image um, with the two photos that are taken to find the the zoom. It's it's kind of a weird way of doing things, but it would allow you to do um, manipulation to zoom into photos in post and actually not distort the image in any way. And also benefit of this is that if you are doing video mode, you could record 4K with the one camera and 1080p with the other and have both resolutions ready to use. Now, I don't know the mass use of that because 
if you've got the option with one lens and one camera, you'd probably rather just do the 4K and then downscale it to 1080p. I mean, that's as good as any other way of doing it. But I suppose if someone is editing on your phone, then obviously that's the option for you. And the third and final way is that you can do use one of the cameras to take full photos uh, as you would normally, and then the other one to do video at the same time. So you can just sort of do picture-in-picture mode uh, while doing video and things like that. So, guys, thoughts? Would this be a useful thing for you? I, I honestly think like the, the all of the ways you've listed how we can use that, the, the big one for me is obviously the, the, the picture and video at the same time. That's something that, that really could be used because... Like obviously you could take a video and then take stills from it after, but ha- being able to like just I'm guessing it's just gonna be like tap the screen and then you can take a picture at the same time and it like saves a picture yeah. as well. That will be so useful for people. Like there'll be more people that will take videos now because of that because normally like people want to capture moments with pictures. When yeah. in in realist like in in this day and age like you probably want videos, but pictures are sort of seem to be the the more favored thing so obviously i think the video and picture thing will be the the biggest thing from this i just want to quickly add in that actually as much as the iphone can already do photography while video you're limited to doing the photos at the resolution that the video is so at the moment if you're doing 4k or anything like that then your photos are going to be that resolution photos don't work very well generally in the resolution of video they are much larger normally uh so you can scale them up and use them in other things and 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 change dimensions so uh, martin what do you think i think this is a great step forward um I, I like the idea, especially zooming in. You don't lose any of that. Uh, it, it doesn't get distorted or anything. That is always a big plus, especially in photography. Um, I can really see this being incorporated in more phones, definitely down the future. And I feel it is a great step into uh, photography and video work at the same time. And like you said, it can. it's already in the iPhone, but I think this is just on a better scale to that, I believe. And finally, just to add a little bit of thing in and maybe a little thought, depending obviously where these cameras are positioned, but maybe a feature that's not listed here that could be something that Apple uses as a big marketing ploy could be 3D. Two cameras, you could typically shoot 3D with them. That's a good point. I never thought about that. But um, again, yeah, 3D. And like um, Edson said, people are taking more photos and as, as well as videos. And it's only right after the 4K era, we want to go into that 3D effect. You know, how cool would that be? I mean, Apple are doing these live photos. They're all about gimmicks at the moment. Maybe this could be the gimmick for them. So coming up next is the Amazon Dash Button service. This is coming to all Prime users by September, and it's going to be available on a few select products. Um, it's going to start off quite small. S- things like printers, like I- electronic washers. This is something where it will there's like something built into it which will link to your Amazon account. And if like let's say for example in a printer, if your ink or or toner gets low, they will automatically order a new one for you. So this is something, and obviously with Amazon Prime, it's like a next day delivery thing. So it wouldn't obviously you you won't need to be keeping stock of everything. Um, and this would be big for sort of like offices and just general like day to day life. Um, in with the whole Amazon Prime sort of like pushing more and more into the sort of like just general life of shopping. Yeah, I mean, definitely from a marketing and from, you know, completely Amazon's point of view, this is a great feat. I mean, they've already got one touch sort of ordering so you can order things without having to your details in. Mm-hmm. If you've got an account, you want to buy something to hit that button immediately bought. And for them, in terms of getting people to spend more money on Amazon, this is perfect. You don't even have to think about hitting that buy button anymore. They've taken that button away. You know, if you need it, it's there at your door. And I think, you know, 
that way is going to make people think a little bit less about maybe shopping around to other stores or buying, you know, buying elsewhere. The minute you've got to think about it, you can go on the Amazon page and check what price it is and go, actually, that price has gone up. I might go somewhere else and buy it this time. But if it's automatically being bought for you, you're kind of almost locked into whatever prices that is. And by the time it's arrived at your door, the chances are you're not going to bother returning it because the price is £3 or whatever higher. So I think from a marketing point of view, it's going to work for them really well. Also, a really great thought is combining this with the technology that we're seeing at CES at the moment. I think the real future uh, will be fantastic with this and uh, really incredible to where we're at with technology. Um, a lot of manufacturers showing devices that are already intelligent and already being able to communicate with you once items are getting low, You know, once your fridge is getting uh, low of your normal shopping, being able to make a list ready for you to order. And I think only the next step here is keying it up with something like Amazon and being able to order it right to your door, you know, next day. Back onto your point, you said uh, Amazon automatically renews this. It would really shut out the competition um, against Amazon because when, and like you said, people aren't going to refund it if it's like two, three pound. It's already at their door. It's instant. And I think it's a great, great plan for Amazon to keep uh, rival companies out of the way it, and it's going to be solely focused on them. I think um, Amazon have played their cards uh, very right here and like you, uh, like you said, it will restock up things and for businesses you're not now overexpending on things that you, you weren't too sure you needed, like maybe your inventory wasn't um, correct something, and then you've overpaid on uh, say ink cartridges for example now Amazon knows how much you have how many you need and it will just bring it on in what a great way to uh, keep uh, finances um, quite level and also like I said keep Amazon um, the top of ordering things online Okay, our final small topic to talk about is Microsoft's new alarm clock app, which wakes you with games. Yes, the app developers are coming up with uh, creative ways to get us active after our slumber. This is something that is not new. Like th This is something that loads of app, like just general app developers have been trying to do. I actually have one on my phone, which is not a game one. It's a, It makes you do math when you wake up. Now, I, I obviously, like I struggle to wake up like most people and... This app that I've got that I've got downloaded on my phone, as, as soon as I wake up, I have to solve three sums um, and you don't have to get them right. You can you can make it so you have to get them right. You can change the difficulty. Um, and obviously mm -hmm. it takes me a good like and in the middle of when in the middle of the morning, I have like I even struggle to divide like, I don't know, nine out of 90. Like it's 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 ridiculous how how half asleep your brain is and how 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 hard it is to do stuff like this. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff out there like this, but I, I just don't know whether the the game side of it is something that people are going to want to do. Like it's it's not something you you want to do when you first wake up. Like the the whole gimmick of that is is I, it's just going to wear off really quickly. I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, convincing me to do anything like that in the day generally is quite a feat. But convincing me to do it when I've first woken up, when I can barely see my <laughs> phone enough to turn it off, let alone do a freaking game, I think would soon drive me at the wall enough to not ever use it. And I mean, I've used a range of different sort of apps in terms of waking you up, some which wake you up progressively slowly, you know, not rather than games, but things that wake you up in different ways and monitor your sleep and things like that. And I think after a while, it just becomes a bit of a gimmick. And also you just, just want to you just want to get up and get on with your day and, and get things rolling and you've already starting to roll in my personally in my head you're starting to roll about the things that you've got to do that day and more importantly trying to convince yourself that you really should get up in the cold and go and have a shower i definitely 
agree with Ben here. It does seem like it's a bit it's a bit of a roadblock in your day. You've just woke up, you know, you're trying to get your bearings, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, you got to do this. You got um, on here as the image. It says like uh, find something green. Do you really have time in the morning to find something green? You know, you're just going to be <laughs> laid there thinking, no, I can't be bothered. I think it's time more. To sleep. I think it's more. Do I even care enough about this silly game yeah. in order to complete it? And I mean. Like, yeah, I'm not in the best moods in the morning sometimes, and I think that would just make me go, yeah, no, I'm going to close the app. <laughs> yeah, this might make, make me hate gaming, and I do not want to do that. <laughs> exactly. So that brings us to the end of this week's catch-up topics. The worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Okay, so our main topic of the week is to do with a Wired article uh, talking about the rise of robots, the rise of drones and all other robots which are making their way into industries and taking over jobs. And the article focuses on how this might hit women the hardest, according to the World Economic Forum, which did an annual meeting this week. So let's go through some of the facts first. The report says that by 2020, 2.45 million jobs will be lost by women and 2.65 million jobs will be lost by men. And it's trying to say, as women generally make up a smaller percentage of the workforce, the real term losses will be greater for women, which in its sense makes a little bit, a little bit of sense. Okay, so at the moment, there is considered to be a fair divide between men and women, men getting generally more of the jobs than women are. That's what analysts are saying. So they're saying that if they take that data and throw in the um, the rise of robots, where they're going to be taking over more jobs generally, that, you know, 2.45 uh, million jobs lost will be a bigger hit to women than 2.65 to men. Um, so I'll open this up to Edson first. How do you feel about this? Do you feel that this is a real representation of what might happen? I honestly don't think it is. For like, there's there's very there's two reasons for this. I, I first of all, this is okay. a very controversial topic, so I'm going to be sort of careful in, in, in what I say here. But like, there's there's two yeah, we're things. Opening there's, controversial. Yeah, yeah, we we're, we're definitely starting off very controversial with this one. <laughs> um, but there is two things I need to say. Number one, I honestly don't think the quote unquote rise of robots is as prominent as people make out it, it to be. Like, there's I think the only the only sort of industries where robots are going to sort of like take over things like and and, the, and one of the main ones for me is like car uh, manufacturers. That's like a big thing where like robots have like sort of like they, they can produce cars really quickly with robots now. And obviously less and less work is is and that's driven quite a lot of people out of work. Sure, of in, course. In, I mean, in those in those sorts of industries, that's where um, like it's it, it's it's more prominent. But it's already broke into those industries. I honestly don't feel like they, there's obviously there's there's more strides they can make in those industries. But I honestly think that's going to affect men more. So I, I think this is wrong anyway. And I just don't feel like in other industries because there's there's one that they 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 specifically stated that it was house household work is going to become more sort of like taken over by robots so it's it's more it's it's going to drive women out of being like housewives and i just don't see that being a thing at all uh, yeah, the quote here from the report to give context says, for example, household work uh, that is still primary, uh, the responsibility of women in most societies could be further automated, leaving women to put their skills to better use, including in the formal labour market. 
Um, the WEF researchers claim the world is on the cusp of a fourth industrial revolution due to the rapid advancements in everything from genetics and artificial intelligence to 3D printing and nanotechnologies. It is not the first time that it has been claimed a new industrial revolution is about to take place. And that is an important thing. We have gone through a few of these over the years. They do say that things are going to change and things are going to move rapidly and you know, it's going to affect X, Y and Z but we haven't seen that yet. So we are right to be a little bit optimistic about this and the way it's going to affect us. But I don't really want to agree with you, Edson, in the fact that this robot revolution isn't something that's happening. I think it is definitely happening. I mean, uh, myself and Martin were looking to do a documentary on this sort of thing. So we did a lot of research and... Um, even the jobs which we wouldn't expect robots to take over are already being looked into taking over. For instance, in America, there's a robot that's being made at the moment and being tested that could physically cook every recipe in a fast food menu to order automatically, even getting the amount of um, of of uh, time that the actual meat is cooked for, so whether it's medium, rare, well done, yeah. the like. It can be that exact. So, I mean... If we're seeing entry-level jobs like that possibly being taken over, then where could where could it extend to? Well, like you said, me and you have been doing a lot of research on this, obviously for documentary ideas. Um, but I will agree with Edson; it's not as quickly rapid, rapid as people make out to be. I still think we're a few years behind that everyone thinks we are. I think it'll be another. Uh, two decades or so before we we start seeing uh, the rise of the machines, as it were. But you are right; there are there's the job of a receptionist. They've got ro- uh, robots doing that now, mm-hmm. um, and definitely um, that uh, entry level jobs, as you put it, are at stake here. And in terms of um, the women being hit the hardest, I can understand what they're trying to say. And and like you said, there is a, a bit of a gap between uh, pay um, from men to women. So I feel like. Um, both genders, though, will suffer in the end. It, everyone does lose their job in the end, and I can understand why uh, women have been flagged up because, obviously, of this issue. This is the one thing that, like, we, we sort of need to make make very clear on this. That, like, what what Martin just said there was that we are not we're nowhere near the point that they're trying to. Like, everyone keeps bringing up these articles and and, and these sorts of topics, and, and we're we're not as close to it as they like to make out. Like, for instance, in this specific article that we're, we're referring to, it says by 2020. So in five years' time, they're thinking this is going to... Have, well, have, four have, now. Well, four, this is going to have happened. So I just don't... I, that... I, I, I don't think people are sort of like... I, I don't think they understand how long this sort of thing takes in takes to come into effect. I think they are being very optimistic with 2020. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, t- well, we're talking about about 5 million jobs being taken over by 2020. That's a hell of a lot. I think that is very optimistic. I think, you know, a two-decade approach probably and is more also, realistic. They're also number. in industries where, like, where it's it's not something that they can simply make and do. Like, it took them so long to, um, to, to sort of break into the industries of, like, manufacturing cars and stuff like that. There's so many laws they have to pass. There's so many things that they have to do just to get this stuff into the place, let alone actually making it and making the things work and, and testing it and making sure it's completely safe. Like, it's it's just, it's not a, like, it's, we're, we're miles away from it, yeah. I do want to actually add one thing to being sort of miles away as well. I mean, let's take somewhere where robots have been taking over uh, for a long time now, and that's in retail. And I mean, 
let's take your average um, consumer shop. We're not going to name any brands for obvious reasons, but uh, your average consumer shop, their automated till services are far from perfect. They still need people looking after them. They still need people coming over almost every few moments when it will do something that wasn't expected. So, I mean, if we're at that stage with really very simple tech you know we've got weighing scales a basic computer that does the math and and sort of takes over that main role there's not there's not a lot to it there but still there's a lot that tends to go wrong on a, on a daily basis so i mean for that stage at the moment with robotics and what they can do in stores we're obviously far away from far more automated and more complex systems that would have to take over it's, a lot of these jobs especially when you're talking about like for instance what, what you're saying about this this there's testing. I know it's obviously it's just a test of of, mm. of making a robot that can make essentially do like the job of everyone in a fast food restaurant. There's mm. so many little things that could go wrong with that. There's so many things that they have to do, and it's just, I, yeah, we we are a, a lot further away than I think most people think with that sort of stuff. Um, back to Edson's point earlier, he said about like uh, manufacturing uh, and jobs. Uh, my dad actually works at a, a company that uh, creates tool wrenches and stuff, and he does a lot of welding and. Recently, they brought in a welding machine that does like the sort of odds and jobs, but it doesn't do the specialities. And what we've got to think about is the, the turnover of um, companies getting rid of the employees first and then bringing in these machines, but still having the, the amount of employees still to carry on with the business before the machines take over. And like you said, 2020 is really ambitious. It, it's a bit too ambitious. That's why I said about in two decades' time. So we're looking about... Um, about 2036, maybe 2040, I can see this happening. But as I say, uh, robots need programmers and robots need to be uh, ma- uh, maintenance. So there's still going to be a job market there. I don't think we as hit as hard as this uh, paper's making out, but I do feel like um, it, it is going to come sooner rather than later. It, it, it will definitely come. And it's it's just that the whole fact of like, like you say, it, it, it will take a long time to develop this stuff and, and make sure it's safe and make sure they can actually, it actually works. But there's also the law side of it. There's so many laws and so many sort of hurdles they have to come over to, to get this, this thing in the workplace, to get this thing into use in, in everyday life. There's, there's so many different things that they have to do. And especially when it comes to like, not, not only like the, the safe working practices, but there's also the, the whole, like wh- when you are replacing workers, there's so many laws and so many sort of like movements that you have to do to sort of make sure you're not in trouble with the government in, in those sorts of areas that you're not like basically kicking people out of work um, and, uh, and, and affecting the, co- the, the economy that there's it's just it's this so it's going to take so long for this to actually happen yeah i think definitely and i think as much as this article you know is speaking something that will be a worry of some point and it is worth thinking about this discussion is worth having and i think you know looking into the future isn't a bad thing and trying to see how society is going to change how the economy is going to have to change around it and certainly how technology is going to advance in the next uh you know few 10 20 years but uh, i think trying to do this sort of almost scare tactic in the papers you know in, in a reputable website like wired i think is a little bit wrong of them in some sense. I think anyone who doesn't understand sort of maybe to the level that we do in terms of technology and the way things have been advancing, I think it would worry people unnecessarily about that. And I think that's probably where we should leave it for the moment. I think, uh, you know, we can reopen this topic at a later date, maybe, you know, in the future when uh, things have advanced and we, we have a better understanding. But I think at the moment, it's almost silly to uh, sort of jump to some of the conclusions that are in the article. To continue listening to the podcast, enter any 11-digit prime number after the beep. Beep.
Our second area topic for today is Minecraft have announced the Education Edition. Now, this is something that they've been slowly moving towards. There's companies that already use Minecraft in schools, but Minecraft themselves, Mojang, have actually started a a, a sort of like a, a, a small thing inside their offices where they're they're developing a, a new version of Minecraft, like a, an extension on on the current version that can be used in classrooms that can give teachers tools to sort of like teach teach math, teach science, teach various other subjects like geography and. In, in, in so many different aspects in, in the actual education workplace, whether it's primary school, whether it's secondary school, whether it's even higher of university degrees. And it's something that's that's really become a, a, a big thing for the, the, the gaming industry, that this game, this this powerhouse of gaming has, has is now entering education. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, Minecraft is definitely not new in schools. I mean, I have a niece and nephew who are currently in schools you know they're around the sort of 10 age that sort of really influential age for things like minecraft and they have ipads in their class that they do minecraft activities on so definitely not new to the education sector but i think some redefining of minecraft refining it you know having these forums for teachers to discuss about how they can make their lessons plan around minecraft and i think those sort of resources are really what's going to make it more beneficial to the students because i think Nothing's massively, let, let's be honest, going to change about Minecraft. It's still going to be the core aspect of the game. And I think generally people are going to get the same sort of aspects out of using it, you know, uh, learning-wise. But being able to concentrate the lessons onto particular, particular aspects. If they want to teach history, maybe they have a map that has, you know, like a quiz type thing where they've got to go and find aspects in history and put together maybe like a little, um, you know, history puzzle together. Or vice versa, a little maths thing with blocks where they can build um, a house using the amount of blocks they have in have to figure out how many they need and things like that. Anything that's sort of adding up obviously will help in that aspect. And being able to plan those lessons with help from other teachers who have maybe come up with different ideas and things like that will be really beneficial to the students. And I think, honestly, more of the community aspect behind it will push this further than anything Microsoft will be able to do alone. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that like there's there's a few things here. There's, there's like... The, the money behind Microsoft that they can put into this, they can now work with 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 the sort of the few people they're putting onto this in inside Mojang themselves. There's the, the money mm -hmm. that they can put the the sort of governing boards of, of education that they can actually be in touch with to actually try and work with them and, and create some sort of like some. Because at the minute it's being used in in classrooms, but it's it's just being used in like small things. If it actually yeah. becomes to the point where they can use it and they can actually sort of like make it part of like tests, they can make it part of like it's, especially in in sort of like lower down like in primary school level, like it could become a really big thing and a really big aid to education itself. Because like there's there's this constant struggle now with like trying to get kids involved in sort of like they they want to do uh, like a, a education that sort of like makes them interacts with them and and this is one big thing for it this is the most popular game with kids this is something that can really help them and and, and sort of like drive the next generation on into learning into like taking on these net these going into these industries that that not many people are going into now okay i'm gonna be a little controversial here and and say i'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to learning I, I do remember growing up and teachers said we want to get kids interactive and uh, get indulged in the topic but I, and I understand what Ben was saying about like maybe in mass you have a certain amount of blocks, you've got to create it. But I feel like uh, students might become more distracted by the actual game element and not remember it picking up uh, actual key skills out there. And I feel like um, 
and maybe a lot of concerns of a lot of older audiences might feel like, well, when I was a kid, all we had was pen and paper. That was good enough for us. Why is this not good enough for our children now? I mean, the other side of the story is that a game that they might play socially at home with friends might be difficult for the students to then differentiate that time where it's just creative for fun and maybe a time that's more serious where they actually need to learn and gain something out of it. Although, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit, of course, the other side of that is if they're enjoying what they're doing, they might learn something without knowing that they've learned something and maybe that will turn maybe some of the more difficult lessons to teach especially, you know, some of the more challenging ones mentally, uh, if they think it's just a fun game. You know, oh, Minecraft, it's just a bit of fun, something I play at home with my friends. They might be more uh, keen to be open to learning rather than, um, you know, the old-fashioned ways where immediately students are, let's say, switching off because they know it's going to be boring. Plus there's the, the, there's also, like, a, a big thing that... The, the, this this can really sort of move on to the actual community side of Minecraft. There's there's a lot of people that mod Minecraft themselves, the actual game. There's there's so mm-hmm. many mod creators and there's so many people that could create content for this e- education edition of Minecraft that can go f- so far beyond the actual team that that, that Mojang have, have, have put together in their offices that are trying to develop this. That th- this could be a thing that that people can create such sort of high level education content for like this could be used in universities this could be used really high up to to do some really technical stuff um obviously earlier we talked about um amazon and and also like the the increase of technology and obviously uh, edson was saying about like uh, people creating content it's quite technical and obviously a lot of technical skills will definitely be uh, improved and we're obviously entering that digital world now but then and I know um, what the argument's going to be. What about stuff like physical education? Like, it's uh, very mandatory in PE. You had to do it. Sorry. And, you know, it like, would that hinder other, other lessons with Minecraft? Maybe people just want to play Minecraft instead of doing other things. I think at the levels that, in terms of age levels, that Minecraft is going to be um, added in, I think the students aren't going to have the freedom to be able to play Minecraft, you know, all day. I think it's going to be a set lesson. Like we have IT, where they take the students into the IT room, they do an activity in there, and then they come back to the main classroom, or they, you know, go off to the, the gymnasium to do something in there. You know, it's something that's scheduling the day. They go to the, that place, they have that activity. Or maybe, you know, a lot of classrooms these days, I mean, I worked on a, a video for a company which specialises in, in technology for the education system, and... A lot of the products they were selling were cabinets that would have laptops in them or iPads in them where those be stored away and charging when they're they're not doing that activity. But the moment they want to bring it out to do activities on, the laptops come out, they do that activity, then they go away and they're not to be touched again. And I think, you know, we're talking kids, you know, in sort of primary to very, very early, you know, uh, secondary school. You know, we're talking about, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, those sort of ages. You're not talking you know, um, older ages where people, you know, are going to have less control in terms of the teaching system. So I feel generally, I don't think that's going to be an issue. There's still going to be the place for physical education. And, uh, you know, the kids aren't really, you know, not to put it a better way, aren't really going to have a choice in that sense. Caps Lock, preventing logging since 1980. Pixel Podcast. Okay, so with that, we're going to intro into the versus topic. Now... Basically, each week we're going to take one of the main topics and have one member of the podcast arguing one side of the story and the other one arguing the other. Now, today it's going to be myself and Martin, and to decide which half are we going to be on, we're going to get 
Edson to flip a coin. So it's either going to be the pro Minecraft Education Edition or against Minecraft Education Edition. So, yes. Martin, I'm going to be kind. Which side would you prefer? I would prefer against. Against. So, heads or tails? Tails. Tails. So if he gets tails, he gets against. If he gets heads, he gets four. Okay, okay I'm going yep. to flip it now. Okay, here we go. It is heads. No. Oh. So Martin gets four. This is quite. This is going to be quite interesting because obviously I, I, I yeah, feel like yeah, GG definitely. is is definitely more on the four anyway, and I know Martin has some good things for against. So flipping it, I think this is going to be quite good. Okay, so um, I think we're going to time ourselves like a minute each I would, on this. I, I would say a minute each. Yeah. Okay, so as mine's kind of drawn the short straw, I will go first. So um, we've got barely any time to think about this. I'm just going to raffle on for a minute. And then Edson's going to decide. Uh, well, and then Martin's going to have his go. And then Edson's going to decide uh, who's won the battle. All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so why would we want to encourage kids to be in front of the screen more hours than they already are? Reports are already saying that kids at home in front of their iPads, in front of their TVs, they're using multiple devices at home. They are already playing Minecraft at home. They're already learning things through there. They're, they're already way ahead of anyone in their generation in terms of IT skills. They know what they're doing. They don't need that extra skill. And I think going back to the old ways of learning, of being able to concentrate during lessons and do things in the normal way, will teach them valuable skills that they won't get in front of the computer. The computer gives them short, quick, satisfactory goals, which won't make them become more patient, more well-rounded individuals in the long term, where they learn the fact that if they study hard and that you know that they pay attention in class and, and, and do what they're supposed to be doing, that they'll actually reach their end goals. I think that Minecraft is just going to give them an excuse to sort of do anything but focus, give the attention they need, and succeed in life. With three seconds to spare, I like it. He even leaves a little bit of time after. Martin, you're exactly. up next. Time to breathe. Time for people <laughs> to take it in and ingest it. All right, it. so you've got another minute. Start in in one. No, I'm going to count that. Three, two, one, go. Okay, Ben talks about short goals, but when you're quite uh, young, you're quite fragile. You need short goals with big payoffs. And it's quite interactive. It's what teachers want the most out of, out of a student. They want them to get engaged in material. If it's English, if it's uh, science, if it's maths, you know, the core skills, they will still be learning them. Yes, it's in front of a screen, not face to face, but they'll still learn the ability um, to learn the, uh, the key skills around it. And like I said, Minecraft is for all ages. Um, if it's uh, young or older, everyone can get invested. It's a game and gamification definitely comes to mind here where audience can interact with the material and enjoy the experience as a whole and interact. And Minecraft is a big community and everyone will help each other. And finally, the web is developing. You need big IT skills. Look at other countries in the world. They're really developing their IT skills um, for children and getting them to that next level. And that's what we need in England. All right, so that one ran over by about three seconds. But Gigi... He didn't even let, stop him. Well, I, I, I knew it was coming to an end. He was in his final sentence, so that ran over by about three seconds. I'm going to okay, leave so it. It's the overall judge. I'm going to leave that. 
But okay. I'm going to decide right now who I think the winner was. And I honestly think it was Martin because of one point. There was one point that he said. That, uh, I <laughs> there, there was one point that he said, and it's it's something that I, I want to just quickly expand on, that there's, there's, there's not many sort of subjects and there's not many ways to teach kids where kids can help teach the teachers and they can feel like they know something that the teacher doesn't. A lot of time in schools, the, the, the whole sort of like, it's it's hard to like the teacher is the one that's telling the kids something if the kids are or, or the the pupils are telling people uh, are telling the teachers uh, like how to play this game how to, and they're sort of like teaching them as well as the like the, the teachers know the subject the pupils know the game this is something that can really benefit both parties and i think that's why it's such a good thing and i it, it Martin didn't sort of like say it exactly like that but i know that's where we're sort of going with it and i think that's why that one should definitely win Okay, okay, fair enough. I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So, Martin, for the first week, gets the first point. He's already leading here. We're going to do verses um, as often as we can every week for the moment and see who can get the uh, biggest score by the end of it. So, Martin, well done. Thank you very much, Ben. You should be very proud of that. First episode, first score. An honourable you, you should retire now. Retire, retire victorious. <laughs> that's what that's what someone who's going to be doing verses next week would want you to do. So. <laughs> Don't worry, Edson. He's going to come for you. It's not going to be too brutal. I'm I'm, I'm not looking forward (laughs) to it. Okay, and with that, I'd like to thank you guys for listening to this week's podcast. That brings us nicely to an end. If you do want to keep listening to us, we'd much appreciate your support. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes, which will ensure that you get the latest podcast downloaded straight to your iOS device. We're not sure about where else this podcast will be shown at the moment. We'll provide later details in the next podcast. If you listen to this, thank you very much. We really appreciate you guys listening to the first one. We hope you've enjoyed it. Any feedback will be very much appreciated. But with that, I'd like to take a very very big thank you to Edson. You're welcome, buddy. A very big thank you to Martin. Thank you very much, Ben. And with that, have a fantastic week ahead, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you, and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, GGNORE.